0: Poetry Month continues with an interview with biker poet Jay Barrett-Wolf. Mary tells us why Shakespeare is awesome in honor of his birthday. All this and more on The Luskabe. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation.
1: Hi, are you doing? I'm Robin Renee. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley, and this is a special day. It's all days are special, special days, special weeks, special buns. And on the 17th, this is a special day. It is Bat Appreciation Day. Yay! Woo. We like our bats. They eat all the mosquitoes. And let's see. Also on the 17th is Haiku Poetry Day. And do you
2: have a poem for us, anyone?
0: Sure. I will recite my high school emo haiku. Uh, <laughs> I think that's actually a good band name. Yeah. High school emo haiku. Um <laughs> Uh, That, uh, I wrote as part of an assignment when they taught us what haiku were and, uh, it got published in, in the, uh, the school arts magazine that they put out once a year. Uh, it's, uh, here it is. I don't think I had a title. (laughs) Um, it is, (laughs) uh, the blood is thinning. The eyes are losing their sight. It's time to be old. <laughs> so, haiku for the day. It's really
2: very true. <laughs> very, rather dramatic, and, uh, as you say. <laughs> how were you so insightful when you were 14? I, our grandpa, my grandpa lived
0: with us. Oh, so there you go. There he you was go. probably in his 80s at that point. So uh.
1: Okay. Well, on April 19th, it is National Hanging Out Day. So is that like you just hanging out? I'm not wearing a bra. That's how I'm. Doing. <laughs> Actually, I think it means put your your laundry out on the line. <laughs> and four twenty, April twentieth is four twenty. There you what go. So yeah, you hang out the
2: next, then the next day you can party and still hang out.
1: <laughs> Wait, explain that to me. What is four <laughs> twenty? It's a
0: drug reference for uh, marijuana.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know the,
0: the actual uh, history of how that became to be. I heard that, you know, who knows? There's probably a million rumors, but I heard that there was
2: a tr- <laughs> like a tree where a bunch of Berkeley students would decide to cut class and they would get high at, like they'd say, meet me at 420. and we. We'll- oh. Sit and smoke under the tree, or something like that. Uh, of course,
0: it's Berkeley, <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: So that's that's the story I heard.
2: So yeah, mm-hmm. lots of uh, various celebrations happen uh, on that day.
1: And four twenty. Okay, I'll have to remember that. <laughs> and let's see, four twenty one is Easter. This so year, that way you can feast on all the Easter goodies after mm-hmm. you've done four twenty. <laughs> so then uh 422 april 22nd is earth day yeah i like earth yeah. day i like earth day I, I always remember going to the first earth day in uh, philadelphia and seeing uh allen ginsburg at the picnic blanket next to mine that's really cool mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's yeah, awesome. it was earth day yeah nice
2: <laughs> So uh happy birthday to Maynard James Keenan. <laughs> he is mm. uh uh is, you know, he's a singer you would know him from Tool or Perfect Circle, but the thing I like most about him is that he was one of the three little pigs in The Three Little Pigs by Green Jello. So <laughs> if you're if you like random humorous metal songs, that's one of my favorites. Um, on April 19th, it's Tim Curry's birthday. Yay, Tim Curry! Yeah, and on 4:20, yeah. it's the birthday of George Takei, and also hey. go ahead.
1: Oh, George Takei is going to be at the State Theater in New Jersey, New Brunswick, New Jersey, in June. Oh, yeah, cool. I, yeah, I've seen ads.
0: Mm-hmm. Since I follow him on Facebook, I'm getting the ads. So uh, yeah, I see it. That's I thought cool. of you. I thought of you, Mary. I thought about all of the people calling in to buy tickets.
1: Yeah, I have <laughs> bought some tickets. <laughs> I've talked them up.
2: Nice. And also on the 20th, it's the birthday of Luther Vandross, so we remember him. On the 21st, I really like that we get to celebrate both Iggy Pop and Queen Elizabeth II.
0: Oh, that's there's so like much alike.
2: I think that's a very good combo for birth to shared birthday. And April 23rd is William
1: Shakespeare. Yes, so, yes.
2: The Bard. Happy birthday. We,
1: yeah, we think it's his birthday. It's also the day he died.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. That's pretty, yeah, it's very yeah. interesting to die on your potential birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Wow. Kirsten
2: Nielsen is out of the Trump administration. Isn't that a big surprise? <laughs> well, it's, weird. yeah, I mean, obviously the turnover of any of the administration is not a surprise at all. I think what hits me really strongly about this is that he thinks she's too nice,
1: to, yeah.
2: To, to, yeah. In the immigration policy. So he wants to make it worse than putting
0: kids in cages and separating families. Yeah. What I what I want to know is is you know what they're putting in in the job description for that for that position now. It's like you know must be cool with abusing small children and I, you know I I mean how how much worse. Of a person, I mean, I'm sure they'll be able to find I think they found one right right Stephen Miller's like Stephen Miller is
2: overseeing everything right now, so that's not that doesn't bode well,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, he always was kind of overseeing everything, wasn't he um in that department, I'm not certain i, yeah, I you know. well, it's just that he seems to be such an influence on Trump that he yeah. he's like the evil in his ear.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if this, this whole situation, it makes me think of, you know, first they came for et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, we've,
0: well, and we've I got think the of, concentration camps. Yeah. yeah. Dehumanize and, and their the administration's working very hard to dehumanize everyone. So mm-hmm. who are in there and, uh, I think he literally said the other day, "These
2: are not people, these are animals." Yeah, so yeah. that's about as direct as you can be. I mean, I, I'm still struggling for what we can do besides just try to make noise and yell at Congress, because I don't know that that changes anything on, the, on this level right now, you know, well, so he's
0: I'm doing his best to, to to circumvent any congressional oversight at all. I mean, right. all of his, his, it's like almost every department head in the cabinet is now a, a temporary acting.
1: Yeah. Acting. acting. Everybody's
0: acting. acting. Head, cause they, cause they don't need a, a congressional approval for that.
1: Yeah. And then they're also, um, and they, they have to listen to him there so he can rule them. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a little beside myself about
2: that de- de- development and I'm just trying to figure out, I think like a lot of us, what we can do to, mm. you know, besides talk. So mm. is that that's a, that's a hard one.
0: And I, and, uh, as we're recording this, uh, they're voting in Israel for a new, uh, leader of the government and, uh, We'll see how that plays out. Probably, you know, probably right after we're, we're done recording this, they'll they'll make an announcement because they're they're a few hours ahead of us. So they hopefully the polls will, polls will be closing soon, and we can
1: what a, hear what's going on. Yeah what what's at stake?
0: Uh, well, I think they want to. There's a lot of movement to unseat Netanyahu, mm-hmm. which would Definitely. be a good thing, yeah, for everyone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because he's he's definitely problematic.
1: Hey, how long has he been in there?
0: I don't know. <laughs> it seems like a long time. Everything seems, I mean, I f- it feels like Trump's been president for like 20 years now. I mean, that, <laughs> that's how much it's aged everybody. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. I mean, the, the, the whole presidency, it's supposed to age the president, not everyone else. Mm.
2: <laughs> that's true.
0: <laughs> and um william also uh, as we're recording
2: this william barr is testifying to congress and what, what about well i guess he's going to be talking Mueller about report? why why we don't yet have the Mueller report. because mm. he's written i think so far four different letters trying to explain various aspects of it including without uh, saying anything Right. Or one of them was that he needs to redact things so that it's safe for people to read. But apparently the um, some of the investigators did, did write their own um, summaries, summaries just for that purpose. So um, which we haven't seen yet. So I don't know. It will it'll, it'll be interesting to hear his next steps. <laughs> he, needs, he
0: needs to redact <laughs> things to make the, the guilty look innocent.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of
2: course. <laughs> So, yeah, so we're waiting. And, you know, I'm not as – I think at first when we were kind of being told that everything – well, now we have the answer and, you know, there's total exoneration, which obviously wasn't true to begin with, even if you read the first memo. But I was feeling a little down, like, okay, so I guess we're not going to get much from this Mueller report as we all hoped. But I really think now that it's just – we're just still waiting to cure it. We, I, I don't feel that we've gotten much at all from it. So we'll just and I see. Yeah, we'll see what happens next.
0: I also think us as a society has gotten incredibly impatient. And I'm bringing this. I'm saying this because I'm looking through. I have my brother had handed me a while back this stack of letters, which I thought were just our letters from camp when we were at the sleepaway camp in 1969. Uh, which I'm going to be blogging at the end of June and July because it will be exactly 50 years later from mm-hmm. when when we wrote these letters. I thought that would be kind of an interesting thing. I can't
1: imagine that you're that old.
0: Yeah, I am that old and older. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome project. Obviously. I'm
2: really excited to read it.
0: Oh, yeah. don't. It's not going to be exciting because mostly it's you know privileged Jewish kids at a camp in the Catskills away from home for the first time and my brother seemed to have it a lot better time than I did. Uh, <laughs> so I, that's I, why I,
1: you're putting it out online so that everybody can read it?
0: I guess I, I thought <laughs> well, it was, it's a time capsule you know no yeah. It is a time capsule it is a time yeah. capsule and mostly so far I've complained that my cousin got to take riding lessons before we got to camp and I never did. And I guess I was kind of pissed at my mom. <laughs> how come Janet knows how to ride a horse and I don't, you know, stuff like, it's like a lot of stuff like that. Um, but, and I, and I actually really, I'm interested to see what I, what the hell I wrote when they, Had us dragged into the into the common room and and watched the moon landing on a a little twelve inch black and white television. Oh wow! Um, (laughs) Because that was happening. That's cool. But uh, so there are these letters from my brother in in seventy two and seventy three, and he's making comments about Watergate. And so that's why I'm just trying to re you know to express that shit like this takes time. And and in this case, it's going to take even more time because I think when when it the shit finally does hit the fan with these people, and it would be time for like a normal person to resign. I I don't think he's going to do that, even if yeah. all of his advisors are saying, "Dude, you better resign now before before you get perp walked out of the. Did white he house. ever
1: listen to it and by- vibe an advisor anywhere? <laughs> he, he must have, have
2: listened some to advisors. somebody somewhere. Yeah, but I think that you're right. That I don't think he has the kind of he doesn't admit defeat. No, you know. So and if he were to resign, shameless. it would have to be around like, well, I'm I won because of such and such, so go to hell, I'm leaving.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like would need not, to um, they it have on. to figure out a way to, for him to save face. Yeah,
2: oddly enough. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's so it's a long, long process. I I agree. So
1: we're maybe we Putin, might have
2: some, a little more information.
1: Maybe Putin can offer him something. Lovely listeners. We love you all and we'd love to hear from you. So post your comments on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And please go to iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. We really need those reviews and that would help us out a lot. Thanks a lot.
0: So we're here today with uh, Jay Barrett Wolf, who I've known for, I can't, like at least 40 years, (laughs) I think close more than that, I don't even know now. Uh, He's a poet, and uh, welcome to the podcast, welcome to Leftscape, Barrett.
3: Hi there, how are you?
0: I'm doing good, how are you doing? (laughs) Pretty well. So, um... I think I met you...
3: Yeah, Three minutes before they invented lightning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to be in a medieval recreation group that was not the SCA for a long time. <laughs> and, but I hear you have a poem that you wrote sort of uh, based on or in honor of the Florida mass shooting. Uh,
3: yes, this is it's a uh, memorial poem for Sydney Ayello, who uh, was just 20 years old. She was at Parkland, one of the students at the school, when the shooting took place. And after a year or so of PTSD, she committed suicide. Hmm. And what I've done is I've constructed a poem and it has a repeating line in it, and I will refer to that. I'll explain that at the end. But let's shall we just do it or Yes. The injury count for Sydney Aiello 127 2000 to 317 2019. She wears a t shirt in the picture. It says evolution. With a heart enclosing the first four letters, the word love reversed. She is smiling. The word love reversed, a single letter away from evil. How close words can be to the truth, how far away. We don't know what the injury count is yet. In a classroom at the college, she's afraid, though it's more than a year, and this is another place, another campus. Oh, but the echo, the echo singing Meadows' name, the friend she lost that day, erased in front of blackboards, chalk lines of the math homework that no one ever turned in, but that turned into darkness for those who survived those six minutes, post-traumatic, 14 months, stress disorder, we don't know what the injury count is, yet. And so she is taken by he who shall remain nameless, prowling the halls, forcing his anger and sorrow through their skin, down their throats, until the day she choked on that memory, left the scraping pain, the smell of cordite to join the ones not counted among the statistics from a single act of an active shooter. We don't know what the injury count is yet. The line that's repeated was written by Aaron Sorkin and appears in the West Wing, the episode called In the Shadow of Two Gunmen. Mm. I borrowed it out of respect for exactly the right words.
0: (laughs) I was very, very powerful. Thank you for sharing that.
2: You are quite welcome.
0: (sighs) Um... I guess this is also part of my talent for starting off right, with a really, <laughs> a really, where are we gonna go from here? Can we go up? Um, and um, as well as, as being a poet, you are definitely a very, um, you have some very strong opinions about how our government should be operating <laughs> right now. Um, yeah,
3: well, I'm, I'm sort of getting, Stronger and less tolerant about things in my dotage.
0: I think we all are, you know (laughs) There
3: are things that can be let go of there are things that are not worth fighting about But the battles that are worth fighting are worth fighting And you draw a line and say no more
0: Yeah, and some of the battles that we thought we had won we have to keep fighting for (laughs) I'm thinking about My personal stuff is is reproductive rights um, for women. Yeah,
3: I'm with you there, absolutely. Uh, It's incredible that the imposition of religious belief is getting more, not less. uh, Yes. In most of the world, religious belief, in most of the developed world, (laughs) religious belief is actually... Participating to some extent and people are you know you can believe if you want but but we don't run our governments that way and this one has in contrast to that become one where the religious are making a concerted effort to control everyone else
0: now is this uh, I'm I'm of the I'm of the opinion that this has been the, uh, a long-term strategy of uh, of those people for decades now that it's finally, I guess, reached some sort of um, tipping point where they actually can affect change in the direction they, they want.
3: They knew what they were doing. This goes all the way back to the moral majority. I mean, this goes back to Nixon and, and that vintage you know, hmm. 30 years ago already. It's longer than that. Yeah, Because what they did is they they looked at the process and said, we have to put people in lower level political positions. It wasn't about winning the presidency every time. It was about putting people on school boards. It was about putting people into cities and towns and little legislatures and little groups that had political power. And they've spent decades doing that. And now you have a, a situation where... At a local meeting, someone will stand up and say something oddly religious in a country that is supposed to be not theocratic and quite, in fact,
1: secular. Um,
0: so, well, we have to. We have to. We have to also do this now, which we should have been doing if we hadn't been the progressives.
3: Well, that's a problem. One of the problems with the left in general is that we're too smart for our own good. I don't say that as facetiously as it sounds. (laughs) Um, There was an interview program a long while back that I listened to, and they talked about the operatives that work for both the Republicans and the Democrats. And if you go back through the last 20 years, when when the Republicans are organizing their efforts to get people elected. What happens is the rhetoric comes from the top and everybody repeats it. So what you have is essentially one voice saying whatever the political talking point of the day is, you know, they send out talking points.
0: Yeah. It's really it was really apparent watching any you know like Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing and and uh, Cohen's testimony because right, all of see. the Republicans would say the exact same things when it was their time to talk. Well, yeah,
3: and that's the thing is they they and the problem that the left has is because we all think of ourselves as brilliant and <laughs> and incisive and all of the things that they we. Dismiss uh, the others for we wind up in a situation, and I have absolutely done this, so I'm aware of how it works. I get a piece of information that is essentially a talking point on the left. I rewrite it in my own voice, you know, and then I say, if I if I'm actually doing that, if I if I'm on that topic, or I find a post where I want to say something about this issue, I'll say it my way. Which sounds very simple. Except in the big world, what we have is the right sounding like one voice saying the same thing, and the left sounding like ten thousand voices saying similar things and largely much more cacophonous. And you're not that's not how you put a message across to all the people that are out there that aren't committed to one side or the other. You have to communicate clear simple messages. That's how people work. And the left has had a real problem doing that.
0: Uh, So you don't see that changing in the near future.
3: I started to say that in this documentary, I listened to an interview with a guy who talked about both Republican and Democratic operatives. And when he described this about the Republicans, that it was, you know, that was that Republicans have a, a very hierarchical military approach to it. You know, when mm-hmm. the top guy says, this is the 10 things we're talking about. Everybody just talks about the 10 things and they repeat the, the, the points. And the interviewer said, well, doesn't the white house and the Democrats do that? He says, yeah, but nobody listens. <laughs> yeah. I listen well, to he says yeah. and, I, and I rewrite it because I want to make it sound the way I like it to sound. And the problem with that is you get, A very indistinguishable throng of voices saying similar things, certainly.
2: But it's no hashtag
3: the kind of one voice that you get on the right. So that's gotta change. People have to communicate better. The other thing is we have to stop the circular firing squads. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, but lesser issues are lesser issues. I am totally bollocks by the entire Biden thing. Oh, you mean uh, the the touching, the hugging? (laughs) It's like, I'm sorry, human touch is a normal activity. You are perfectly within your rights to look at anyone who reaches in your direction or touches your shoulder or your arm or any other part of your anatomy and say, I would prefer if you don't touch me. That's it. End of discussion. I am convinced, and this is what will get me in trouble. I am convinced that the people who are harsh about that have had experiences well beyond that level of touch. And so they are hypersensitive to this issue, and I get that, and I'm sorry for them. But Joe Biden didn't do anything wrong, you know, and we're busy castigating and attacking and this purity testing everything while... A guy who admits to grabbing women's body parts—who I assume in this podcast shall remain nameless—I yeah. I don't mean the guy. I mean the, the body part.
0: Oh uh, well, it could, you could name. Now we have a we have a parental advisory, a language <laughs> advisory. so you can curse if you want to.
3: Well, I I don't have time doing you know public speaking yeah. that I don't curse except okay. what's typically appropriate.
0: I do. <laughs> So we have the language warning because of me. So
3: (laughs) (laughs) anyway, we all know what I'm talking about. Yes. There are real genuine problems and abusers and, you know, assholes out there. We don't need to spend time attacking people for minor things and things that it's like, This is a little discussion you have privately. This is not for all of Twitter. It's a waste of our time and energy to be doing this when there are really important issues going on, when there are really dangerous things happening that we can address. And addressing touching someone on the shoulder is really a personal problem. It's not. (laughs) political issue
0: yeah I you know I I have I I mean I've been when I see when I see posts like that on my social media I don't even I don't even read them I'm just assuming that they're uh, honestly I think they're they're coming in from either our opponents or
1: you know absolutely
0: and they're going to keep pushing on it yeah. And trying but, to make the thing.
3: Right. Because everything, every time someone says, well, if you won't, you know, do what I say about this, I'm not going to vote. They win. <laughs> you know, that's the whole, the discussions about Bernie and about the DNC. It's like the DNC did what it did. it And Bernie was not a Democrat and people... So many people in his camp seem to have this idea that, like, oh, I don't care if he was in the party, he was running for office and we're supposed to support him. And it's like, do you understand how political parties work? (laughs) If you're a member of the party, you know, all you have to do is join the party, and then he's joined the party. That's the game. You don't get to walk in and announce you're taking over because you're better than everybody in the room. You may very well be better than everybody in the room, and I supported him through the primaries, so nobody yell at me. Okay.
0: (laughs) I I did too, but then I was with her.
3: But then he lost. And that's the end of it. And then you go with it's whoever, in this case Hillary, or Trump. That's the that's the question. The question is not, well, these two are running, but I but I want Bernie anyway. You don't get anybody (laughs) anyway. You get the choice you get. That's it. You wanna fix it? You get to fix it for next time. I'm perfectly happy for Bernie to win the nomination this time, but he needs to be in the party to do that because there's a lot of the party, the center of the party that doesn't buy into, I'm going to vote for this guy who's not in the party. And of course they use everybody who is against him uses the S word regularly.
0: S word is socialism. socialist. Okay.
3: Mostly they have no idea what it means. And the fact that we have been a socialist democracy since FDR notwithstanding, they, it doesn't matter. They use the word because they have used that term ever since Social Security and Medicare and food stamps and wealth. Every time a program is put together to help people, the people who don't like the program invoke socialism. Always. It's been that way for what, uh, 70 years?
0: Probably. And yeah. they and people now seem to conflate socialism and communism and not oh, yeah,
3: That's another thing because again, <laughs> if you have no idea what you're talking about, it doesn't matter what you add to the mix of things you don't have in, <laughs> that you're what you're talking about. And yeah, that's that's a propaganda technique is attaching socialism to communism, even though you know, I'm saying socialism leads to communism it's like certainly could but it doesn't have to but so and well, you know socialism
0: the name of the of the of the group of people and it had nothing to do with socialism <laughs> well yeah
3: they, they cop the, well yeah the nazis cop the name because they wanted to draw in people who were supporters of socialism while they were moving over to fascism.
0: yeah well that's you know when when the brosphere finds me and and i and starts arguing with Well, they're socialists They're you know well, no, they're, they're, yeah. i know they're not it's just that's what they I, say you
3: know what, and by the way i can give you a pretty good structural argument when somebody starts bringing that up by way of comparison <laughs> all you have to do is go look up the names of various bills that have been passed in the u.s senate and congress and how they are absolutely the opposite of what the bill contains <laughs> I'm trying to remember the names of specific ones, but it's like the, you know, um, oh, yeah, right to work laws. Is oh a perfect yeah. example of it says one thing and it means something entirely different.
0: Yeah, right to work means your boss can fire you for no reason at all, for any or no reason.
3: Right, it's also a way of breaking unions because right to work yeah. laws, you don't have to pay unions. Um, so what they're doing is, and by the way, right, uh what is it? Rand Paul just uh, just sent a bill of the floor, a right to work bill to the floor. Uh. Yeah, if you want if you want to hear me lapse into obscenities, we can always discuss Pauls. <laughs> I consider them I can say I like to call them liber terrorists.
0: <laughs> I like that. Uh. Liber terrorists. Um so I remember you speaking to me before, uh, before we got on this call about, um, coherent compromise, which is kind of
3: what I was talking about when we, when we were talking about Republican and and democratic discussions and about Bernie in particular, because that seems to be the sore spot Mm. on the left, you know, and, and in the democratic party, we need to stop having all or nothing arguments.
0: Amongst ourselves or amongst everybody? <laughs> well, amongst everybody would be nice,
3: but amongst ourselves is at, at a minimum if we want to win elections, if we want yeah. to actually set forth. Uh, one of the problems I find is that people are too busy at this point being, I want X, Y, and Z, and if I can't have that, I don't want to play. Uh, they want to t- yeah. They're want they taking their ball and they're going home. And that doesn't work. And it is not how politics has ever worked politics is a game of compromise it is this side wants this this side wants that let's figure out how we can get some of each some of these things for each side so everybody's at least tolerant if not happy with the result and what we have now is not that there's this has become in the last 20 years a world of these are my demands you know, if you ever oh. want to see your whatever it is that I've got again, you're see going your to do exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to see your country again, you're going to do exactly what
0: I tell you. It's a nice country you support. got there. Pardon? It's a nice country you got. This pity yeah. something <laughs> would have happened to it. <laughs> yeah, that should
3: have been Trump's slogan, but that's another discussion. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and we've got what, 16 Democratic candidates currently, thereabouts.
0: Yeah, I have a whole range
3: of stuff. And some of them them are getting more and less attention. I think, what's his name? Um, I still haven't figured out how to pronounce Pete's last name.
0: Oh, Oh, that one. Yes. (laughs) The one who you can mispronounce it and make it sound naughty. Yes.
3: (laughs) Yes. Who is? um really apparently from the interviews and from the information i've seen very very smart uh he's a vet and he's gay and he's married which makes him just like i'm surprised the left hasn't simply nominated him collectively
0: well i'm hoping for a woman but you know that's me (laughs) well yeah i i got nothing against a woman
3: doing it i'm just saying that there i absolutely I'm about i mean we need the best person we need the best most electable person and electable gets people to argue about stuff um, unfortunately the democrats are experts at snatching defeat from the draws of victory so if we're not careful we will find the least electable person and that's who'll run
0: oh don't do that <laughs> well do yeah it. <laughs> uh,
3: but it's something that happens you know we have
2: I know. We've 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 we've
3: failed them. So part of the failure, and that's the lovely thing about the current crop of polls on the left, the newer, the ones that are showing up, standing up and saying, no, nope, we're not doing this bullshit anymore. You know, AOC, absolutely. Uh, Elon, absolutely. But also some of the Democratic candidates who are standing up and saying, I'm not going to cower anymore.
1: Um, and yeah. that's the thing
3: we've been so apt
0: to just be wimps about all of this stuff <laughs> and it's also it's been it's been uh, exhaust, an exhausting two and a third
3: years yeah because the other part of it is because we listen To the nonsense that's being said by somebody who is, people say he is stupid and, oh, God, that's perfect, that's exactly what he wants. What he is, is a propagandist and he's good at it. When he says windmills give you cancer, it's not because any of us think that's true. I don't think he thinks it's true.
0: But if he can convince other
3: people that it's true. He's addressing people that don't know any better. He's addressing the base base, which is 30% of the population who are badly educated and are very much attached to his authoritarian, angry authoritarian position. They're pissed off and they want somebody punished and they only care as far as It should be Furners, and it should be immigrants, and it should be... It should be not them. Right, well, it's obviously not them. And the funny part is they get punished economically and don't get that that's what's happening. They don't get that their enemy is the corporate state, not the guy coming in and taking a minimum wage or a sub-minimum wage job to feed their family back home.
0: Yeah. Well... Let's. Uh, I want to um, ask you about uh, this this whole motorcycle thing and take a, <laughs> a hard left turn now, or a hard turn somewhere. Um, right. Because you, uh, you are a motorcycle aficionado, and there's apparently biker poets, and you're like a god among the biker poets. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, a minor deal. A minor Uh, deity. okay. (laughs) I just returned from the Toronto Spring Motorcycle Show, where I was a judge for the biker poetry competition. We had a women's (laughs) and men's categories, and somebody won in each of those.
0: That's awesome. Uh, I am a member
3: of the Highway Poets Motorcycle Club, the International Association of Published (laughs) Bikers.
0: I love that. I love that. Um,
3: and I have patches to prove it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so was the, was there a lot of competition in this poetry contest? There were
3: probably, I don't know, a half dozen or a dozen that they went through of each category. Okay. And then they sent me some finalists and I got to tell them, I think this one rather than that one. And then between us, we figured out who should win. And then we had a final reading. They basically, we had finalists okay so three people got up and read and you know we gauged them on content originality poise sorry that's left over the, like, <laughs> and the swimsuit
0: The swimsuit yeah the swimsuit
3: competition which is pretty interesting it'll
0: because they just lay on their motorcycles in their swimsuits is that <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah and, and audience reaction
0: <laughs> that is
3: that is uh, so yeah we, i have been going out and gigging, uh, doing biker poetry, not all the time, but certainly on and off for the last hmm, 10 years or so. Wow. I was published in a book that is unfortunately out of print called Rubber Side Down, the Biker Poet Anthology, edited by my friend, the late great Joe Govea who was president of the Highway Poets for a while. We lost him to cancer about four or five years ago. Um, and there are still biker poets wandering around and doing
0: biker poetry thing. things. <laughs> I think that is awesome. I think that is awesome. Um, I think, is there other stuff you needed to, us to know about before we... Uh, Move along. Well,
3: um, if you go online um, and poke around a little bit, you can find a documentary that I am in, the, uh, an author from the Binghamton area who moved away and then came back and was amazed to find that we had a burgeoning arts community here in you know the Northern Rust Belt where tax money went away in the 90s. You know the big corporations disappeared. IBM and MD John Johnson Shoes were both centered here, and they're gone. Mm. And despite that, despite the disappearance of a lot of money, that much of which went to cultural stuff, we have a huge arts community here. We have opera. We have a symphony. We have theater, multiple theaters. I am in the process of creating a literary center here at the Bundy Museum in Binghamton, New York. And uh, my friend wrote and produced a documentary by interviewing nine artists from the Binghamton area, I am on them. And the documentary is called Binghamton Valley of Creativity. It's available online for free. And for those of you from short attention span theater it's conveniently, I am the first interview.
0: <laughs> we'll have a link for that on our website when we post this episode. Uh, so, okay. if you're listening from iTunes, go to uh, LeftScape.com and look for this episode number, and uh, you'll find a link to the documentary. and And Barrett, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you, uh, you are. Perfect. Was a it was lovely talking to you and catching up, and uh, we definitely need to do this again.
2: Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at RobinRenee.com, and my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash Robin fan tweet at me at Spirit Rock sexy and follow me on Instagram at Robin Renee Music. I would love to hear from you.
0: The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative colouring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color, printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies spiral-bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com
1: So I guess it's been thrown in my lap to talk about why is this awesome because it is Shakespeare's birthday this week. And um, I did not prepare anything or write anything, but I guess I can talk about Shakespeare for hours. So Uh, why I like Shakespeare, I like Shakespeare because, well, there's in his plays. There's such interesting characters and they're so vivid and um, their motivations explain the human experience so much. So I I think it's pretty cool. He also has some very interesting women in in his characters, very strong women. There's just not enough of them, but that has to do with the fact that he had young boys playing women. So he had a limit on how many boys could play the women. Let's see. What else do I like about Shakespeare? Um, people think that Shakespeare didn't write his plays. And you know what? I don't care. It, it, <laughs> does, it doesn't matter. You know, the plays are written. They're there. There's somebody who did this. So, so we, we don't know if it's Shakespeare or not. Personally, it, I think it was Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And so I, what?
2: What are, they, what are the counter arguments? I think it was a, a different a various people, or that he adapted the stories, or what do they? What did they say?
1: They oh, he definitely adapted his stories, but but no, they say that it, he, as a middle class person, he did not have the knowledge to write about kings and um, you know royalty and and all this thing that he didn't know enough, and I, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: I just made it a rude a gesture. gesture. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I say, you know, if people have imaginations, they can. And and the human nature is human nature. So if you can figure it out. But um, back in uh, the 90s, I decided, you know, I, I had always liked Shakespeare. And I, um, I guess I'll. I'll confess that my liking of Shakespeare comes from the time when I was a little kid and I got D's in reading because they thought that I couldn't read when it just turns out that they hadn't figured out what dyslexia is yet. And the thing was, was I knew I could read and, and they were telling me I couldn't read, but I said, I'm going to read this. And I was like looking for the most complicated book that I could find. So like I'm in third grade or something. And my oldest sister had a book of Macbeth. So I pulled it out and read it. And I had to take a long time over it, but I was reading it. And I had so much fun reading the witches. And I memorized all the witches. And and I said, this is really cool, this Shakespeare stuff. So that got me started. And uh, then what else do I like about Shakespeare? Well, one thing I can talk about, too, is that there are a lot of people who don't like Shakespeare, and and I think that they don't like Shakespeare because they don't understand it, and it makes them feel like somebody's making a fool of them by by writing something that they don't understand, and I I just have to say, you know what? Um, we changed the language. He didn't. The language originally was what it was. and time went on. So you just gotta accept that, that you're now speaking differently than people did 400 years ago and try and figure it out. I think that on the our days, weeks, months, isn't there a day coming up that's talk like Shakespeare Day? I saw I, that on the calendar somewhere. Oh. There might be. I know, talk like a
2: pirate day, of course, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I, that was might just, be so I was just coming up. People... I was just
1: thinking, thinking, how could you talk like Shakespeare? Shakespeare just talked like a regular person. Well,
2: <laughs> you have find. Go I guess it's Elizabethan English. Is that what they call that
1: era? Yeah, it's Elizabethan era, but it's um, it's the structure of the sentences that's strange. That's why.
2: Yeah, so I guess people would walk around with mock. English of that time period, yeah. which Didn't sounds kind of funny. he also
0: add a whole bunch of words? Oh, yes. To the English language, yes, so, he did. So he did change the language.
1: Yes, <laughs> he did, and he made it more interesting. And he invented things that were nouns. He he made them. He verbized
0: work. He started verbizing nouns. Yes, yes,
1: <laughs> like elbow to to nudge somebody with your elbow. That's now a noun, you elbow in to the line. Um, He did that. But. um, Does he ever unfriend someone? (laughs) uh, (laughs) That's probably more. (laughs) Yeah. So when people start saying, oh, that's not a word, you can't use that word. Hey, Shakespeare made up words all the time. So the language is always changing. Yeah. I
2: like the idea of a living language, really.
1: Yeah. I think for myself, I do talk like Shakespeare when it pops up that i have to use the word persevere and i always say persever because that's how they said it in shakespeare's time persever or uh the duke of milan the in shakespeare's time they called it milan so that's that's the only way you, you could just, talk like shakespeare
0: <laughs> here's a here's a weird geeky aside uh there's a um an independent artist musician that I used to listen to a lot in the nineties. Um, her name is Esmeralda and her album. Esmeralda. Yeah. Oh, you've heard of her. Oh, cool. I love <laughs> this yeah, from, from Baltimore area. right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw yeah. her down in DC, uh, yeah, in the Northern Virginia area. Mm-hmm. Um, and her album was called purse service purse severe two words. Mm hmm like a severe purse. And uh-huh. now I, I finally, because of what you just said, it just finally clicked in my head. Oh, she's doing a play on words. It's only been it's 20, severe. 25 years since that album came out. You know, that's been cooking in the back of your brain. Uh, <laughs> Could I ask a question? Yes. I want to
2: know what you think, why you think Shakespeare is so legendary because I, a lot of people sort of have different takes on why he's considered really the the English bard, you know, to be reckoned with in our, all of our history, especially Western, you know, literature. Well, I'm as curious.
1: a writer, I think you'll appreciate this in that it's not so much as writing, although he did really write well, but he also was a great editor. And he, he stole all his stories. So, except for *Midsummer Night's Dream*, all of his stories uh, come from other plays or, or books or things. But he improved upon them so much he could look at something and say, "Ah, oh, this needs two sets of twins." So let's put <laughs> <do> that, <laughs> and then suddenly the whole thing becomes alive. Um, hmm. So I think that that's one thing too. Is he was very good. Like, if he was alive today, he'd be a script doctor in Hollywood. fixing everybody else's scripts and um let's see the the other thing that i like about them uh oh so what what i would advise people though people worry because they they go to a play and they don't understand everything and you know what you don't have to understand everything just let it roll over you and after a while you'll get it it's it's like Getting your ear used to hearing people sing or something—that, uh, I don't know. That it also that's my I, advice.
0: It also depends on, on the actors, like the actors yeah. need to really understand their lines so they can say them in a way right. that conveys the meaning to
1: the people watching yes, the actors. Yes, actually, that, that's very true too. And the, the problem with why people don't like Shakespeare is because they're forced to read it in high school. And Shakespeare wasn't meant to be read, it was meant to be heard, and heard by an actor who knows what they're doing. So um, if you listen... At least at least if you watch the videos of um, some of the, Kenneth Branagh or something, uh, you'll get it. But I, I used to, when I first started going to plays, because I, uh, I, in the 90s, I made this little vow to myself or a goal, I said, I wanna make sure that I watch, that I see a performance of every one of Shakespeare's plays. And I did that. Oh, quite some time ago. Actually, I got the whole canon. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the plays I've seen more than once. I've seen some of them five times, but um, I just catch them where I can. But uh, I used to uh, read a synopsis of the play before I went so that I could kind of follow what was going on. But after a while, I found that I didn't have to do that. I could just let it roll over me, and I could figure it out. So... It's, uh, fun. I enjoy it. And, uh, I I just think they're very interesting stories too. So what do you think about, um, the more
0: modern productions that, that take the play, take Shakespeare's words and they set it in a more modern, uh, setting. And I'm not talking about, um, that one version and I'm not, well, I'm also not talking about West side story and I'm not talking about, uh, there, I think it was a, a DiCaprio version of Romeo oh, and Juliet yeah. that was like in, in LA set in LA or something. Yeah. And,
1: yeah. and the guns were
0: sword brand. guns. Yeah. I, I, I'm not <laughs> talking about necessarily about that. I'm talking and about
1: more, was yeah. built in it. Yeah. Well, maybe
0: I do want to watch that one. Now. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm thinking more, inter uh of like the the David Tennant Patrick Stewart version of I think it was the Scottish play No, it wasn't Macbeth it was um I don't don't know did Macbeth have a ghost see I don't know the Hamlet had a ghost Hamlet Hamlet they did Hamlet they did did this modern version well Macbeth
1: had a ghost too but I think you're talking about
0: no it is Hamlet it is Hamlet and Patrick Stewart did a, a Macbeth that was really intense
1: yeah, um, yeah. Very bloody, very, very, very bloody. I, as far as you talk about, like, um, Shakespeare plays in modern dress or an yeah, interpretation yeah. or something. Yes. I, I love it. I love it all. And I think that that's the beauty of Shakespeare is that he can be interpreted in so many different ways and he still stands up the test of time. I enjoy even bad productions of Shakespeare. <laughs> I, I just... I think that Shakespeare is such a good writer that he can carry the, carry the day, you know,
2: Mm. Mm.
1: so, and, uh, I, I love it. Oh, I think it was on PBS recently, but I saw this live production that came from London and was in Brooklyn. And their conceit was that it was a women's prison you you go in and it was this big warehouse that in in uh, Brooklyn that we had to get locked up into and there were guards and stuff all around and it was like real ambiance this women prison and the prisoners came in and the prisoners decided to start performing Julius Caesar. Mm. And so it was all women and, and they were playing all the parts these senators and Brutus and Caesar and everything. And it was fantastic. It was the best Brutus I'd ever seen. Um, The woman's name was um, Walter, Harriet Walter. Yeah. And she was fantastic. Wow. I just, I was thrilled. I was thrilled. So I guess that's the thing is when I, very often when I go to see Shakespeare, I get thrilled. That's That's cool. cool. So tell me a little bit about the sonnets. And oh, what you think of the the sonnets? Well, it's it's poetry time, isn't it? Yes. yes. Yeah. I like the sonnets. The sonnets, um, in a way, though, part of it has to do with the fact that Shakespeare was hired to write sonnets. So, yeah, and they he had a um, job to do in and that was like his day job
0: when he wasn't writing plays. He was yeah. getting taking commissions to write sonnets for guys to, to say, to send to their ladies and stuff. Is well, that- no,
1: actually the commission was for him to convince uh, a young man to get married. <laughs> wow. And so he wrote all these sonnets about, Oh, you're so beautiful. If you don't get married and have children, um, the world is going to be lacking and stuff like that. So I mean, you got to <laughs> You got to skip over those sonnets. Um, I had sonnets on my desktop, and it's just really annoying me because uh, where'd they go? Well, anyway. you
2: were starting to answer a question because I was wondering how personal you think some they are. Are, are there some that you have you believe that are really about him and his lovers or? Oh, you know. yeah.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. When he when he gets into the dark lady to uh, sonnets, um, the thing that I like about the sonnets here is that they're 14 lines. Everything's in a little nugget, you know, in a nutshell mm-hmm. that it they tell a whole story and they can tell all kinds of different stories depending upon. Um, how you say them or, you know, how you interpret them. And, um, and, oh, and that brings me back to, though, a basic thing that I love about Shakespeare is that when actors are working on a script, a modern script, and there's a, a line that's confusing or, or that could be taken several different ways, the actor has to decide, okay, I'm good, going to do it this way, that, it's, that it means this one thing. With Shakespeare, if he has a line or a word or something that could mean three different things, the actor has to make it uh, mean all three things at the same time, which nobody ever does. So that's what I like about it too. It's just there's always something new to find. And, well, and I, I, I
0: think the, uh, the performance, and I think it was a live filmed performance of – Oh, you know, I don't know the names of the plays. <laughs> Tell me it's what happened. I will. I will. It's David Tennant and Catherine Tate. Um, and I much I ado about nothing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Benedict. Yeah. Benedict yeah. and Beatrice. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think. I think they. They got the multiple meanings of their lines in that production.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They it did. was a
0: really, and that was another weird modern setting that I just love watching. I loved well, also, it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the two of them just chew up the stage yeah. and the two of them together are amazing. Yeah. So I, I recommend that one as well. <laughs> and some, I kind of knew which ones it was, but I
1: don't remember any of the names of anything. Anything <laughs> with David Tennant in it though, it's gotta be good. So what I had been talking about, about Shakespeare's, Uh, writing uh, conveying several different meanings all at the same time or or being flexible enough that it can take an interpretation Um, one of my favorite sonnets is one that I picture a woman talking to her lover who's really a jerk and yet the more he's a jerk the more she loves him right (laughs) so this is how that goes it's, and it's on at 150. Oh, from what power hast thou this powerful might with insufficiency my heart to sway, to make me give the lie to my true sight and swear that brightness doth not grace the day? Whence hast thou becoming of things ill that in the very refuse of thy deeds there is such strength and warranties of skill that in my mind thy worst all best exceeds. Who taught thee how to make me love thee more, the more I hear and see just cause of hate? Oh, though I love what others do abhor, with others thou should not abhor my state. If thy unworthiness raise love in me, more worthy I to be beloved of thee. Did that sense come across there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I got it. Yeah, he's unworthy of her love, and yet she loves him. And the more unworthy he is, the more she loves him. This is such a modern drama. It could very much be a modern drama. (laughs) Uh, You want another one? I have one more. You want one? Sure. Sure. Okay. Being your slave. What should I do but tend upon the hours and times of your desire? I have no precious time at all to spend, nor services to do till you require. Nor dare I chide the world without end hour, whilst I, my sovereign, watch the clock for you. Nor think the bitterness of absence sour, when you have bid your servant once adieu. Nor dare I question with my jealous thought where you may be or your affairs, suppose, but like a sad slave, stay and think of naught, save where you are, how happy you make those. So true true a fool is love that in your will, though you do anything, he thinks no ill.
0: You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com, on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.